Come on, let's bless the Lord. Let's stand to our feet and bless the Lord Jesus all together right now. Come on. Can we lift his name high? Can we lift his name high? Jesus, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your goodness to us. Surely it is the truth. You are good. You are good. And your mercy endureth forever. You are good. Come on, let's tell him how good he is this morning, Project Church. You are good, Jesus. And your mercy endures forever. We are so grateful for your goodness, your kindness, and your faithfulness to us. Thank you for bringing us to church this morning, Jesus. We love you. And the church said... Amen. Yeah, you can be seated. On your way to your seat, just look at your neighbor and say, are you ready to have church? Or are you ready to have church? Come on. I came to have church this morning, and I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. How many of you remember the passage of Scripture that says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. You know, the church is supposed to be a place where we experience joy. But I really believe with everything in me that all of hell wants church to be a boring place. Because the devil knows what the word of God has to say about joy. The joy of the Lord is your, y'all remember that one, your strength. And that's why hell comes after joy in the church. Because he knows if he can steal our joy, he can steal our and so a church that is filled with an abundance of joy is a church that is filled with an abundance of strength. God is building a strong church here in Sacramento, California through Project Church. Would you guys agree? If you agree, can I get two good amens? Amen, amen, and amen. Come on. One for Pastor Caleb and the other for Pastor Chrissy. Amen and amen. How many of you guys know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? Now, I don't have a slide with their Venmo uh, attached, but you should appreciate your pastors this month and every month because you guys have some superstars as your pastors. Do you guys know that? Yeah. Can we honor your pastors all together and just thank them? Thank you, Pastor Chrissy. I know Caleb's not out here right now, but thank you, Pastor Caleb, for everything you guys are building. It's so inspirational to us. I don't know that I've ever been to a cooler church. And that is, that is God's honest truth. This church is cool. Cool, man. I was like, I came in and I'm like, this church is cool. They got a coffee shop that is cooler than Starbucks. I mean, let's be honest. It's way better than the Bucks. And then I came in here and I see all the paintings on the walls, the murals, the decorations, the mosquito nets from Africa. I'm so sorry. That was the best thing that I had to describe them as. I used to sleep under one of those in Mozambique, and I was like, they repurposed it, like Becky said. They reused it, like Becky, you know, they re that, that looks cool. That looks cool. That is cool right there. And I, 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 the shiny floor, I'm like, we got to get, get us a shiny floor. We're going to have to get us a shiny floor. And then I saw this LED box up top, and I'm like, man, I am not cool enough for this place. If y'all haven't figured out yet, I'm from the south. I say really uneducated things, but I have been with Jesus, as the book of Acts says. Uh, so I try to preach from that place, but I really do want to honor your church. I want to honor your pastors, and I want to honor what God is doing in this house because it is phenomenal, you guys. It is phenomenal. Would you look at your neighbor real quick and say, you are a part of something, and that's the truth.
And that is the truth. That is the truth. You ought to have to say that last part. But it really is the truth. You are a part of something very special that God's doing here in Sacramento. And I want to say thank you guys for having me and Allison. Allison spoke this weekend at the women's conference. And it's always a joy to be her armor bearer. If y'all don't know what that is, you didn't grow up like me. Uh, but an armor bearer is basically the person that carries your Bible around and gives you a towel to wipe the sweat off. And I don't know if she sweat when she preached, but I'm here to serve her. And so I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning. So I'm excited. Why don't you turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we are going to read a lot of Bible this morning. Is that okay with you guys? If we read a lot of Bible... I know what God has to say about his own word, which is heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. How many of you guys know you can build your life on this thing right here? How many of you guys know God is not a man that he should lie? He gives us his truth. It's unadulterated. It's unfiltered. And it's right here, undiluted for us to receive. And we build our life on this thing. So I'm going to read a lot of Bible. I'm going to read 20 verses of scripture. Will y'all bear with me? Uh, will you also indulge me at my home church legacy? We always stand for the reading of the word. So I know you've already stood. You've already lifted your hands. But would you guys just bear with me and stand with me? Uh, we're going to read 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 20. And if you want to, why don't you read it out loud with me all together as a community? I got the NIV, okay? That's what I'm reading. So, um, so if you've got a different version, maybe a portion of it may not be mirrored, but we'll all get there together. Verse 1, if y'all get verse 1 correct, I'm going to be so impressed because this is a hard verse to read. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. Wow, good job. We got some theologians in the room this morning. Verse 2, and he had... Two wives. Everybody say, uh-oh. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Peninnah. Everybody say, ouch. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Give a, give a big old church, thank you. That's it right there. Uh, a double portion, why? Because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, and just ask the question with me, her rival? Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness, everybody say desperation. 
of the soul. Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forgive it, forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. That means he's going to be a Nazarite. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And she responded and said, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Everybody say desperation. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Somebody say desperation. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, well, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. And early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and they went back to their home at Ramah and Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Hannah was a desperate woman, and as a result of bringing her desperation before the Lord, God responded and blessed her with fruitfulness. Today, I want to talk to you from the topic of an impartation of desperation. That's the title of the message, an impartation of desperation. Now, I don't know if you could use one of those or not, but I want to stand before you and say, Jesus, would you bless this room and everybody watching online with an impartation of desperation? Lord, we need you more than we know how to cry out for you. God, would you do a work in our soul today and bring us to a place of going deeper still in our desperation and dependency upon you. God, we ask that you would anoint us. Give us a spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of you today and, and provoke us to first love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. You can be seated. An impartation of desperation. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to read so much scripture. Um, I, I'm, I'm a lover of the Bible. I'm a Bible nerd. I'm, I'm somewhat of a closet nerd, but maybe by the time we get through this sermon, it'll be more publicly recognized that I really like to study the scripture. Anytime I look at a story in the Bible, I always try to determine what the context is. I want to know the setting. I try to understand the authorial intent. I try to pretend that I'm in the story and I listen to the story from Elkanah's perspective. And then I go and I sit with Hannah for a little bit in prayer and I try to listen to the story from Hannah's perspective. And I even go and I look to Peninnah and I say, Peninnah, what was your experience in this story? And I try to listen to Peninnah. Well, what I learned when I studied Peninnah is that her name actually means corner. That's right, corner. I think of like popcorners, those potato chips, like she's very salty. Uh, corner, right? I think about hitting my shoulder on the edge of a corner as I'm rounding the wall. Ouch, right? Corners hurt. Corners are abrasive. Corners are, as they say in Kentucky, worsome. 
That means you're getting on my nerves. All right, so maybe you've never heard that slang term before, but I'm going to teach you a lot of redneck sayings this morning. Peninnah was, was, was worsome, right? She was a corner. She was prickly. She was ouch. You get on my nerves. That was Peninnah's role in Hannah's life. Now, if you look at the term or the name Hannah, you'll see that Hannah defined means to show favor and to be gracious. Now, your pastor has told me you guys have been in a sermon series about the favor of God. Well, Hannah is a walking manifestation of the favor of God on two legs. How many Hannahs do I have in the room? Okay, just me. Hallelujah, Lord. I'll take whatever favor that they don't want. Amen. How many Peninnas do I got in the room? Don't even nobody raise your hand. And if you're sitting next to a Peninna, don't nudge them into the ribs right now. Okay. But I'm sure as I even brought up Peninnas, some of you guys were like, oh, yeah, I know some Peninnas in my life. I, I know some Peninnas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even as Hannah's, we can be walking in the sauce. We can be dripping with the favor of God and still be fruitless. Right? And that's the position that Hannah finds herself in in this story. She's like, my name literally means favor, and yet God has not opened my womb. I have not yet been allowed to give birth to my promises, my prophecies, my dreams, my desires, my goals. Anybody in the room feel like Hannah this morning? You know you're blessed, you know you're highly favored, and yet you feel fruitless. I want to talk to you today because if you're in a posture of desperation, I want you to know you're in a good position for God to bless you. Just because you're desperate doesn't mean you're not blessed. If you're desperate, I want to, you know, I want to talk like T.D. Jakes this morning. Get ready, get ready, get ready. I mean, I wish I had that deep voice. Because you are positioned for breakthrough. It's funny to me that everybody wants to walk in breakthrough, but nobody wants to be broken. If you're going to have breakthrough, it is going to be preceded by brokenness. There's never a moment in my life that my, my life has moved into the, a direction for the better that was not preceded by a puddle of snot on the floor. I don't know about you, but it's always in the broken places do I get what I need most from God so I can step into that place of breakthrough. Anybody else in here, you know what I'm talking about. I believe there's some Hannahs in the room this morning. You know you're blessed. You know you're highly favored, but yet you've not given birth to your promises. If you're a Hannah in the room, say, that's me. That's me. Yeah, that's me. That is me. Well, I noticed throughout the context of this passage here, Hannah is so desperate. She's so desperate. She's so, she's so desperate. And this passage leaped into my spirit one morning as I watched our worship uh, director. He was leading worship, and, and he went down to his knees, and he lifted his hands, and he began to sing. And I watched tears stream down his face, and then he hit his face on the floor, and he pushed the microphone away. And I felt like the Spirit told me to go whisper in his ear, you will be as anointed as you're willing to be desperate. And so I went to him, I said, hey, I said, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. He's giving you a gift of desperation. He's giving you a gift of desperation. And I want to prophesy that this morning to Project Church. I want you to hear it. I want you to let it come into your spirit. He's giving you a gift of desperation, Project Church. He's giving you a gift of desperation. And spiritual desperation is cyclical. All right? God will give you the gift of desperation so that you can give to God the gift of your desperation. This is what we do over and over and over as we confess our dependency upon him. And let me tell you again, Project Church, you will be as anointed as you are willing to be desperate. You will walk in the measure of breakthrough to the extent that you are willing to be broken. I want to talk to some Hannahs this morning. 
So as I thought about desperation, this is what I do as a preacher. I always go to Google because I love to get culture's definition of a term before I go to the Bible and I look at how God wants to define a term because I know the world bad. Everybody go, boo. Boo. God. Everybody go, yay, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's term, you know, because you always get an upgrade. And so I'm like, oh, desperation and impartation of desperation. As a preacher, it rhymes. It sounds amazing. It feels prophetic. Come on. Somebody's ready to have revival when you announce that. It's an impartation of desperation. Hey. Right? And so I go, to des- I go to desperation in the dictionary, and I look it up, and here's what it means. It means having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. We can all agree. That sucks. I don't want intense anxiety. Anybody else in here? No, thank you, right? I don't want intense anxiety or extreme suffering. No chance. And so what I did was I went to my Bible study research tools and I started flipping through all my biblical dictionaries. And then I realized, hold on, wait just a second. I might need to do a little bit more study because I don't think I fully understand what desperation looks like from God's perspective. So I literally looked up every single passage of scripture that mentions our word for desperation or eludes to desperation because I was passionate to get God's definition. And after all of this time, spending, you know, time in study, here's what I learned that the definition of desperation is biblically. It means having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. It's the exact same thing. I was expecting an upgrade, but all I got was more brokenness. And I was like, hold on, God, I don't really know if this is exactly what I want. I mean, you said you wanted to give us an impartation of desperation, but I'm kind of thinking like, no thanks. How many of you guys know, God doesn't always give you what you want, but he's always willing to give you what you need. And what we need, church, I believe it with everything in me, we need more desperation. We need more brokenness. We need more dependency. We need more humility. We, more of us, we need to be ruined for Jesus. Is anybody else in the room, you're like, I'm willing to go there. I'm going to go there with you today, pastor. I'm going to go there. I got, I got four people. I'm going to need at least eight. Okay, there's 12, 15. That looks like 17 right there. We want to be desperate, Lord. Will you tell them with me? We want to be desperate, Lord. We want to be desperate for you, God. Come on, we sing songs, right, about being desperate. We always sing songs about being desperate. We shout about it. I'm desperate for you. Right, y'all remember that? That's That's a Nashville song, I think. That's a Michael W. Smith song. You know what I mean? I'm desperate for you. This is the air I breathe. Y'all remember that, right? And we sing these songs and then we walk out the door and God's like, I'm gonna answer that prayer. And you're like, please don't. Please don't. I'm actually good. I was just singing that in the sanctuary, but I don't actually wanna live that out in my lifestyle. It was great for Sunday morning, but not so great for Wednesday night because God, I'm trying to do whatever I wanna do. And he's like, hold on, wait. I thought you said you wanted to be desperate. No, I wanna watch Netflix. Yeah, anyways. Look, if you need a better definition of what desperation is from the Bible, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and look at this list. In verse 10, we see Hannah's soul state. It says she's deeply distressed. She weeps bitterly. She's afflicted. She appears to be drunk. She gets rebuked by her pastor. She's troubled in her spirit. She has anxiety, and she even calls herself vexed, which means she is very angry. You don't have to raise your hand, but is there anybody in the room that that's your job to in this season. 
Listen, if that's you and you find yourself in this position, you are set up to be blessed. If you are willing to take similar actions that Hannah took. I'm going to give you a list of her actions. Number one in verse 9, she fasted. That means she pushed away the plate and she refused to eat because she wanted God more than she wanted a meal. You you, you guys know about fasting? Hey, it still works. I'm going to tell you right now, it still works. It still works. Uh, we, we, um, our, 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 our second born, uh, Remy, uh, the, the doctors told, uh, well, they gave us bad reports all the way up to her birth. And, uh, whenever it got down to the nitty gritty and we we needed to make some decisions, I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go to the church and I'm going to spend time with the Lord and I'm going to get a holy strategy on how to respond to these doctors, bad reports. And the Lord told me, go on a fast. And let me tell you, seven days into my fast, The baby shifted. We got a good report. Ten days into my fast, the baby was born with no complications and one push. If that's not miraculous, I don't know what is. Listen, fasting still works. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Verse 9, she also goes to the house of God. That's where you need to go when you need some answers, amen? Go to the house of God. Get around the people of God. Get in an atmosphere of faith. Get get in a community of people who believe for miracles. Verse 10, it says she prays to the Lord. And she prayed to the Lord in a way that made her look so odd she appeared to be drunk. Have you ever been there before? Like, man, what's wrong with my guy over here? He must have been drinking before he came to the 1015. Nope. He's just desperate. He's just dependent. She vows a vow in verse 11. She petitions for a son in verse 11. And in verse 15, she pours out her soul to God in public. Who's willing to do that? Right? That's what desperation looks like. Years ago, the Lord told me, he said, I want you to break easy, break often, and break in public. Break easy, break often, and break in public. You know, while everybody's competing to be the best preacher or everybody's competing to have the best church, why don't you compete to be the most surrendered? Why, why don't you try to be the most undone person in every room you step into so that maybe your dependency will become contagious and other people can get off of their high horse and get put their face in the carpet and say, look, I am nothing without you, Lord. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, and I don't care if that scares anybody. I don't know what I'm doing without Jesus. I am desperate. Well, somebody shout with me this morning. Say, I'm desperate. We're desperate. Listen, there's something about the outcry of desperation. It comes from the heart. This is why I'm preaching this this morning, church, is because I had a different message prepared. I knew you guys were talking about favor. But I said, oh, I got to preach about desperation because Pastor Chrissy got up on Friday night and I listened to her pray and I said, oh, that right there is the sound of desperation. That's what's coming on this church like a tidal wave. Whether you're ready for it or not, I want you to prepare yourself to be broken. There's something primitive about desperation. There's something about the heart cry of first love. Today, unfortunately, we often pursue Jesus out of well-thought-through theology. But remember when you pursued Jesus out of desperation and dependency? Wasn't your life richer? Just me? Wasn't your life richer? I mean, yeah, it may have been a little bit more messy, but wasn't it more full? It's so unfortunate that we have so many Christians filling our churches today that are bored. As a pastor, I have a lot of coffees. I'm very caffeinated. And a lot of times when I'm chatting with people, they'll say, Pastor, I do want to serve. I I do want to be about that life. 
but I'm bored. And you know what I say to him? You're not bored. You're just disobedient. You're just disobedient because I can promise you your adventure will be found on the other side of your surrender. If you don't know why you're alive, you're not yielded enough yet. Because if you will give a blank check to the Holy Ghost and you say, look, send me wherever you want me to go. My wife said it the other night. Pick me up like a paintbrush and paint a masterpiece through my life. I double dog dare you, Holy Ghost, to fully possess me and see how festive your life gets. I promise you, you're going to start having fun. Why? Because God will put you in positions like Hannah where you're like, you told me I was going to have a son. You told me I was going to give birth to a ministry. You told me I'd be walking into this business. You told me I was going to have this family. You told me I'd be married. I don't see no husband. <laughs> Get desperate. But you know what? Here's the thing about desperation. The enemy always does his best to talk you out of being desperate because he understands that God loves to be around the last people that society thinks he should be which are the desperate people, the broken people, the undone people, the messy people, the inconvenient people. Those are the type of people you always saw Jesus hanging out with. And you got to understand, man, Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. Hey, it's a little bit different for some of our theology for ministry. Some people are trying to do evangelism by going out with people they know they shouldn't be hanging with and getting drunk and talking about, oh yeah, I'm doing spiritual work. You need to be reminded. Listen, Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. Yes, he was the life of the party of every room he walked into. Yes, he did in fact become known as a friend of sinners, but we must also remember that he was sinless. Anyways, that ain't the sermon, but I'm just going to have to get on my soapbox for a minute and say that because Jesus loves being around desperate people. What happens during uh, Hannah's desperation? Eli blesses her. She receives peace. She gets the answer to her prayer. She receives favor. These are all in the Bible, by the way. She no longer fast. Woo, hallelujah. Anybody ever broke a long fast before? My God, Chick-fil-A hits different after that long fast. Hey, listen, after my daughter was born, I went and got number one Chick-fil-A at American Cheese with a half sweet, half unsweet iced tea, large extra Chick-fil-A sauce. Give me a little sriracha on the side and an extra eight-piece nugget because I'm celebrating. Woo, that's revival right there in a paper bag. In verse 18, she was no longer sad. In verse 19, she freely worships. In verse 19, she says, the Lord has remembered me. Verse 20, she conceives and gives birth. And in verse 20, once again, it says her prayers were answered. So you, you, we, we know Matthew chapter five, Jesus's biggest sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We know in the Psalms, David teaches us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God is near and dear to the brokenhearted and the contrite in spirit. There is something about desperation that God finds irresistible, but the enemy knows it, which is why he tries to distract us from it. So I'm going to give you three quick distractions to your desperation. These are the things that the enemy is going to try to use to distract you from staying dependent upon the Spirit. Number one is this, a double portion. It's quiet in here because as Christians, we love to shout about that double portion, don't we? Because a double portion is a blessing. And I'm grateful 
when I can get one. And I'm steady asking the Spirit that he would continue to bless me with double portions. But double portions are often distractions to our desperation. Why is that? Because a double portion is plenty for most people. You give them double of what they need and they'll hush. How many guys know somebody that they got a little money in their pocket and they stop praising? They got a blessing and they stop praying. They got a job promotion and they stop going to church. Like you outgrew church. Come on, somebody. You don't outgrow church. You never mature beyond your need to have a pastor. We all need a shepherd. We all need a community with some accountability. And not just keeping us accountable to not sinning. I'm talking about keeping us accountable to our destiny. I'm not talking about just checking your internet history. I'm talking about checking out your prayer closet. Are you in the prayer closet? Are you going after God? Are you going in and worship? Are you still tithing? Are you giving in offerings? Are you serving? Are you going to the outreach? Oh, oh no, I, I got my double portion and I'm good. I got my double portion and I'm good. Come on, if the only time you'll pray is when you want something, God will bless you by not giving it to you. So you'll keep praying. If I knew exactly what my wife wanted, and I knew if I gave it to her, she'd stop talking to me. I'd never give it to her because I care more about our connection than I do her temporary blessing. Some of us can't figure out why is God not blessing me? Because the only time you talk to him is to converse with him about your blessing. So he's actually blessing you by withholding it until you realize that the giver is better than the gift. Listen, I believe a key to getting more of what we ask for in prayer is to continue to pray after we get it because if we're not mature enough to pray after you get blessed, you're not mature enough to be blessed. <laughs> Listen, you give some people double of what they need and you'll render them completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. Listen, I'm grateful for my unanswered prayers because they keep me desperate. I'm grateful for all of the moments that what I thought I wanted came before the ears of God. And he said, not yet. Wow. I need you dependent. I need you humble. Listen, the devil will pay you to be quiet. He doesn't mind a little money in your pocket so long as you'll be quiet. The favor of God always leads you into more fellowship with God. If what you call favor leads you to spiritual neuropathy, it is not a blessing, but a distraction. We got people out here calling distractions promotions. And, 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 and footholds, they say, that's favor of God right there. Man, God has blessed me. Yeah, but you're not communing with the Holy Spirit. So was it actually favor or was it a distraction? Because favor always leads to more fellowship. We, we, we talked about the double portion. I, I, I'm, I'm almost, I'm gonna get through the other two points fast. Are y'all taking notes? Are y'all taking notes? And, and, and so when Elkanah, he said, man, I'm gonna give Hannah a double portion. You have to remember the purpose of the portion. Because if we think that the, the purpose of a double portion is for us to show off, then we'll be satisfied with our double portion and we'll not press in to our ultimate purpose. The reason Elkanah gave Hannah a double portion was so that she could worship with it. The reason why God gives us double portions is so that we would have more to worship him with. But when we get distracted by the double portion, we start thinking it's about our own merit rather than God's great grace. All right, let me give you the second one. I'm gonna have to get out of your way. Distractions to desperation number two competition and comparison. 
Competition and comparison. You remember when Hannah said, that's my rival right there. That's my rival. What, what we see right here in the scripture is what competition and comparison always leads to. It leads to grief. Everybody say grief. And it leads to irritability. Irritability. When I looked up the word rivalry, yeah, it means competition in the Bible, but it also means tight, narrow. It's no longer a spacious place to stretch out and enjoy your life and enjoy what God has for you, but it actually presses you into this narrow space to where your whole vision in life becomes about dominating the person you're competing with. You know, Paul says that competing and comparing amongst ourselves is unwise. Why is it unwise? Because when you compete and compare, you always compare your worst to somebody else's best, and it's never wise. Listen, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but an antidote to comparison is the knowing that God has not given what's yours to anybody else. Can I tell you again? Can I tell you again? God says, no one has what's yours. No one has what's yours. Nobody gets blessed by being a thief. Nobody has what's yours. If you don't have what's yours yet, guess who has it? God has it. If he has not yet opened your womb, let me tell you what for sure is not going to get him to open it ever. Competing and comparing with others to show how much you deserve his blessing. As though God is impressed by our performance. As though God is impressed by our self-sufficiency. God is not somehow more inclined to bless any of us as he watches us dominate our spiritual siblings. Ever. Never. And this went on year after year. And so Hannah's response, I'm going to be desperate. I'm going to weep. I'm going to fast. I'm going to reject competition in comparison. Now in verse 8, here's the third point. In verse 8, we see her precious but somewhat dumb husband Elkanah because he married two wives and I just can't call any man smart who chose to do that because I don't know that's he he kind of had this coming a little bit here Elkanah you know like I don't know what you were thinking bro but uh not the most wise thing to do but he did love Hannah despite the fact the Bible teaches us that the Lord had closed her womb and he says Hannah why do you weep And why do you not eat? Here's some food. Eat something. Why is your heart sad? Why are you in bed all day? Why are you crying? Why are you depressed? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Which, by the way, is a rhetorical question. He was basically saying, am I not more to you than 100 sons? So here's number three. The distraction to desperation, number three, is well-meaning people. Well-meaning people. When you get desperate, when you get broken, you're going to make other people uncomfortable. Listen, the passionate always offend the apathetic. Those that are moving always trouble those who are stationary. You have to understand that if you get desperate, if you choose desperation, if you choose brokenness, if you choose that lifestyle, if you choose that kind of worship, if you choose that kind of prayer life, you're going to offend some people. And you're going to make some people uncomfortable. You're going to make some people look at you sideways and say, man, I thought I knew her. Man, I thought I knew him. He used to hang out with us on Friday night, but now he wants to spend two hours in prayer. Who has he become? He just kind of, he's just like a religious, you know, fundy. I don't think we can hang out with him anymore. He's weird now. But that's what desperation will do to somebody. And if you're not willing to be made fun of, then you're not ready to become desperate. Listen, I'm very well aware. If I cry out to God in public as a pastor, I very well may become a meme. 
Somebody's going to tag me, tweet me, post me, make fun of me. But you know what? I'm willing. I've made the decision. I am willing. I don't care who makes fun of me. If I get Jesus in exchange for my desperation, then it's always worth it. I don't care the cost. I don't care how much it is. The costs are unworthy to be compared to what we receive whenever Jesus shows up, shows us himself, and blesses us with his beauty. They're not worthy to be compared, so I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to say yes to an impartation of desperation. How about you, Project Church? Are you willing to say yes to an impartation of desperation? Even if it makes you, you know, look silly or kind of worship kind of funny or anybody else in here yeah. you, you, you remember when you remember when uh david was was worshiping before the ark and he was dancing and he was looking crazy and at, at one point in time he about danced dance, danced out of his clothes y'all remember that and uh and we know um uh, mike hill right is that, how, is that how you say your name is it i gotta use my kentucky term with it. I don't know if that's how you say it, but I think it's Mike Hill. She was watching David dance and what happened? She judged his worship and the results of her judgment was that she became barren. I think one of the reasons why so many people experience spiritual barrenness is because instead of dancing themselves before the ark of God's presence, they're steady judging other people and how they worship. Judging how other people are dependent upon God is what lead us to a place of cynicism and barrenness and we sit in the seat of a scoffer like Psalms chapter 1 says and it's never the way of the fruitful fruitfulness we live in an upside down kingdom church fruitfulness looks different favor looks different what if it's not just another blessing what if it's not just an increase in pay what if it's more of him that comes through our desperation are you willing to go after that with me awesome well let's stand up I want to pray for you I know the altars are going to be open, so if you need to come up, you can come up. The team is going to lead us in a worship song here. But I just want to invite you, please lift your head toward heaven and stretch out your hands to Jesus. Lord, we ask you this morning for an impartation of desperation. Would you be so brave as to pray that? Come on, open up your lips and pray that with me. God, give me an impartation of desperation. Come on, be courageous this morning, Project Church. Ask them, say, Lord, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Have your way, God. Have your way, God. Come on, say things like, I submit to your will. I surrender to your spirit. I want what you want. I subject myself to what you're doing in my life, God. I come into alignment with the will of the Father. Do it in me today, God. Do it in me today. Make me desperate again. Make me dependent again. I want you, Lord, more than I want anything else. Make us desperate. In Jesus' name, we receive it. And if you receive it, say amen. Come on, team, lead us in worship. Let's sing out. If you need to come to the altar, you can come to the altars. There'll be people here to pray with you. Come on, we ask you, Lord, do it in us.